Welcome to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Hello, welcome to the Winners Find A Way show. I am with my good friend, Olivia Atkin. Olivia, how are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to be speaking with you today. Oh, me too, Olivia. It's going to be awesome. Tell them first where they can find you. So you can find me on my website, achieving-success.com. You can always reach out to me via email. I respond to every email at olivia.atkin at achieving-success.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn by searching Olivia Atkin. All right. Are you on the big socials, Instagram, TikTok, all of it? Yes. And we have company accounts on every social media. So you can search Achieving Success and we come up on every platform as well. Perfect. I am Trent Clark, CEO of Leadershipity, CEO of Athletic Influencer Marketing, our NIL education firm. And I am pumped up for this Winners Find A Way show. Olivia, you are, let's get to know you a little bit here. Uh, Most people know me as a longtime coach, coaching in three World Series. And I am excited because you and I know each other through athletics a little bit. Uh, Olivia, you spent a lot of time in your days at Quinnipiac. Am I saying that right? Quinnipiac. You are. You said it perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to win a national championship till you have someone says it right, right? And big hockey year for, for the old alum here. But you have a real tie to the university. You were a student manager. You spent a lot of time in athletics while you were there. Walk us through that. So I went to Quinnipiac, both undergrad and graduate. So when I was in my undergrad, I was the manager of both our D1 hockey programs, ice hockey. So I managed the men's and women's team, which was very special because both teams during my time there went on to win almost every season their division. The men's team, when I was with the team, actually went on to the Frozen Four in 2016. So I have been to two of the three times that the team has made it to the national championship. I was even in Tampa when they just won right next to the team. So that was pretty amazing. And then when I went back and got my MBA, I actually oversaw the student athletic advisory board for every sports team that Quinnipiac has. So it was very unique and different perspectives to see how what I was doing, whether that was videotaping practices, doing analytics, setting up different events that we were having and just making sure game ran smoothly transition to seeing it from all the college sports teams we had there as well. Yeah. I love it, Olivia. You know, you are like chief badass. I love this because you are a youngin who's just an MBA. You've written a book already, a published author, which is absolutely great. And the name of your book is? Achieving Success in Career Development. 
Awesome. Yeah, heightens the name there, right? And then, of course, also now have done a TEDx talk in Dallas, Texas, which is incredible. Defeating your biggest enemy, you. And so I love that. Becoming the victor to your own success story. I love that. We're going to talk more about that. Man, just overachiever the whole time. Is this uh, from the time you were like nine, you're just going to do everything? I think what really happened, I was always the personality as I joke, that was a rule follower that wanted to do my best. But growing up until I was nine years old, I was that athlete. I did two a day practices. I was a swimmer. I got good grades. I talk about many times I give talks about that's what success looked like to me when I was young, you know, listening to your parents, following all the rules. I'm still scared to this day to break rules. I'm not very good if you want me to do any of that. But it was also just winning my swimming races. And I always swam up too. So at about eight, nine years old, I would be swimming in the 15, 18 division. And then I was diagnosed with epilepsy. And very quickly, as a nine-year-old kid having epilepsy, and at the time, it was a rare form. And to this day, it's not something a lot of people understand if you're not in the medical community. So my whole world really shifted. I, you know, they were scared to have me swim. We, me and my parents had to fight for a few months to try to get the association for swimming to allow me to still swim because they thought I might drown. Because for those of you who are listening who don't know what epilepsy is, it is when your brain kind of lights up. You get a lot of electricity at the same time to one point in your brain and you can potentially stop breathing. You can just look like you're staring off at space. It can really range. But when you're underwater, you can actually drown because your body stops operating. Um, so for anyone out there that understands swimming, you're in a body of water. So the yeah, likelihood yeah. that you might go under is very high. Um, yeah. So there was lots of fears there. And I think at that time, as I worked through that, you know, my initial doctors didn't think that I would be able to sit in a classroom past six months after my diagnosis. And a lot of opportunities were force closed on me because of what people thought epilepsy was happening that people didn't understand and just everything. So I think around that time and working through that, I really got an understanding that it doesn't matter your own experiences or what people perceive of if you have a tough life or not, there might be battles going on. And it really gave me the appreciation that an opportunity is an opportunity and it might not be here tomorrow. And the ability to do certain things really might not be there tomorrow. And so when it comes up, I'm always like, okay, let's do it. And let's dive into it a hundred percent because you don't know what can happen in an hour, two hours, you never know. I love it, Olivia. You know, it's one of the things that most people don't know about you is that you were in your Olympic path, like you were in junior Olympic training and getting ready to kind of hit that path. Obviously, you kind of alerted to the fact that you played up. And then, you know, as, as this young adult or, you know, young adult life, people don't know, oh, these swimming accolades because you pivoted off that mm -hmm. because of this deal. And I, and I really appreciate that right now. Just in the last couple of months, we've had, I don't know if she's a college swimmer or an Olympic swimmer, you know, the woman keeps sinking, right? She keeps sinking and she's a really good swimmer. And I don't know if she's passing out or what happens in the water. But have you read this story? I did. I started to read it, you know, and it's very interesting because when I was swimming, for example, at nine years old, 
I could go a 25 meter length of the pool, dive in at the one end and maybe breathe once in your whole 25 meters, which is hard because we all want to naturally, when you start to feel the need to breathe, you want to pop up. But what happens to, there can be many different factors. The lack of oxygen, there might be seizures. Again, seizures can look at, you know, we all joke staring off into space. Yeah, a yeah. lot of people don't realize that sometimes staring off to space is a seizure. Yep. It can look grandma like what you see most time on TV, but it could also just be something bigger is happening that there has to be tests on. And I think yep. until those tests are done, no one's going to really understand what's happening. And I hope she, you know, is putting her life first because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Yeah. I think, I think obviously athletics and sports are such a big part of our lives mm-hmm. and the reality is is that like someone want to take it away from me man they're gonna have to take it out of my grip like man i worked hard for it and i wanted it so bad and so i can imagine that that's real challenging and i think you're exactly right about epilepsy most people think someone who's epileptic or has any level is is grand mal seizure all the time mm-hmm. and that is not the case and there are many cases of epilepsy and levels of seizures that are very low and it's challenge. There's still a circuit challenge inside that brain activity. And so very interesting. In fact, um, you know, we know so little about the brain. It's a very interesting deal as, as we, you know, my father went through strokes and when he first had a big stroke, there was scar tissue. So indicating that there were probably previous strokes, but we just didn't know. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like, wow, he had a probably a small stroke one time and wasn't acting himself for, you know, a day or two, not feeling great. Probably back at that moment, he'd had a seizure mm-hmm. or had a stroke, a, a mini stroke, and nobody knew, right? And so mm-hmm. I think we're all just thinking like, you know, the worst and, and the biggest thing that we know mm-hmm. of, or like you said, how Hollywood might portray that. Well, and, but- and that's the thing. I've gotten, you kind of knit hit the nail on the head there. So many times I've been told once someone finds out, I've had epilepsy and have had seizures. They become, and sometimes they don't even know. So sometimes comments get made or a joke gets made and they don't know they're sitting next to someone. Mm. And it's very interesting to me because I am open about my experience. But also it's, I have learned from childhood that you don't always lead with it. So, you know, growing up and at nine years old, I lost almost all my friends because you didn't know what it was. And all of a sudden Mm. these things were happening and, you know, all kids, you know, kids get scared of those things. But when I sit there and hear the misconceptions come out or the jokes, I try to remember it stems from a place of just ignorance and not understanding. And they don't realize, you know, that the person sitting next to them actually has had these experiences and it's not what they're talking about. I've been asked many times, oh, well, can you go into a party? Can you go into a club because of the flashing lights? Yeah. I'm like, do you understand you go into a club? And a lot of people don't realize this. One of the things they do with patients who've been diagnosed with epilepsy is when you have an EEG and you get them, one of the steps in it is to get lights very close to your eye, like as close as they can get. And they put it at different speeds, blinking, and you cannot turn away. And they're trying to see if it will provoke a seizure. Yeah, so, true. yes. So for me, I joke, I can stare at a light a lot longer 
<laughs> than anyone else. So never worry about me. But it's those misconceptions that I try to debunk sometimes. And it's yeah. interesting when other people know that they're in a circle with someone who has epilepsy or has had epilepsy and someone else says something. A lot of my friends tend to end up jumping down their throats before I even, because I understand they just do not understand. And we all go through that. We all go through situations where we say something and then you realize, oh, that wasn't the right thing to say. Or I, it was just coming from a place of what I thought I knew because of the information that is out there. And to touch upon your aspect earlier as well, giving up any sport or anything you're very passionate about can leave such an imprint on who you are. Those moments, you know, being part of a team can never be taken away. And that's why another thing a lot of people don't know about me is not only was I a swimmer and then finally in you know the end of my middle school career I tried doing a few other sports obviously not in the water you know I did cheer I did field hockey I tried I in elementary school before getting diagnosed I also did softball so it was a lot of different sports, but I still coached. So I was able to train people in swimming. Once I got into high school, I managed multiple men's sports teams. But when I knew my seizures were fully under control, I hadn't had any in a few years, I decided to go into diving. And mm. because I knew that it, I love bodies of water, I love swimming, I had been out of training for so long, I knew I wasn't going to be at the level. And I did leave on a note that I was okay with. So I didn't want to go back to that sport. But I ended up setting the state record my senior year in high school for the state of New Jersey on the three meter dive board, which is that really high dive board. And people don't even realize it because it was such a blimp in my sport accolades of what I've done and where I've been that people never really realize that I actually did that sport. And not only did I do it, I performed it at a very high level and hold the record in it. That's awesome. Yeah. It's really cool. I love that. Uh, there's so many more opportunities for athletics now, and I really want to pivot here to your TEDx, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because as athletes, we know there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of self-talk for everybody, but we are always balancing self-talk with typically a coach or a guy, you know, a peer, someone on our team, there's a lot of self-talk going on in there. So as we talk about your self, your, your TEDx talk, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, achieving success, it's the name of your business, right? What is that enemy within? Let's talk a little bit about that. The enemy within is really the battle that we all have with ourselves at times, whether it's out of fear, anxiety, doubt, pressure, we all get it where we either get in really good, it could come up when opportunities come up, it could come up when struggles come up, and we feel this feeling of, you know, pressure, drowning, whatever it might be, we all get this feeling inside where we go, do we keep going? Or do we like, do we stand up? and keep going? Or do we walk away and say, you know what, this opportunity, I don't want to do it. It scares me. I'm having all these feelings. So I really talked about when that hits, what do we do? If And it is time to stand up and keep pushing, but what that looks like. And I think it's, we all get it, right? We get it a lot when we're given big chances of opportunity because fear starts to kick in. Are you worthy enough? Do you feel that 
you people will listen to you do you feel like you have the experience is it something that's worth going down the path because it is the unknown and i think we all get that sometimes and it's we end up our self-confidence end up dwindling in those moments you let that inner me that person in you kind of speak for you out of those feelings of fear pressure doubt and anxiety because you feel like you don't know which way to turn but you can also get that in the op- the moments of struggle where there's a lot going on you don't know the path forward and instead of kind of getting up and keep moving you let things on social media you let what how you think people are going to perceive you by doing something get in the way of just pushing through it did you see yourself like were you a you know 15 year old girl running around cherry hill new jersey going yeah i see myself in like a TEDx talk in the next 10 or 15 years here, like this is this is where I'm going to be. Move over, Simon Sinek. You know, Olivia's coming, right? Like, watch out. Did, did you see yourself that way? Or was it sports? Or where did you think this thing was going? And what was the change? So I will tell you, I've always listened to TEDx. I knew in high school I wanted to do business, go into the business world of things. I love sports. Um, I'd always listened to TEDx's. I never thought I'd be on a TEDx stage. You know, if you asked me two months ago, three months ago, I never thought I'd be on a TEDx stage. But it always comes back to if you keep pushing forward and keep being open to opportunities, you never know what door might open. And for me, that was the TEDx stage. So the answer is no to that. I never thought I'd be on the stage and have that voice and platform. I'm so happy I've been granted that opportunity and people want to listen to the story, want to talk and really hear what I have to say. I think, you know, when we look back even a year ago, I didn't think I'd be where I am today. And that's the beauty of life and changing, you know, when achieving the reason I call my company achieving success is because success is always moving. Your goals are always moving. And no two days are the same. So it's always creating those opportunities and building on today. So when the opportunity knocks, you are fully prepared for it. When I was in high school, I went to Cherry Hill High School East, which I was lucky enough that my high school had business classes. And one of my favorite teachers who taught business, I call him DeWolf, but it's Mr. DeWolf. And I've remained close to him to this day. But I got into business classes, knew I wanted to do business, love sports. Again, in high school, I managed four guys team, wrestling, baseball, football, and lacrosse. So I knew I wanted to do something in sports. When I got into college, I thought that was going to be probably sports management. And then I interned with the Giants and I was like, I knew I wanted to work in professional sports, not knowing the direction, but I thought that was going to be my whole career was going to be working with athletes on a team. And then that slowly changed. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about it's just business and sport has been woven in from the beginning for you. Let's talk a little bit about you see a lot of athletes and now you've seen athlete careers end abruptly. I mean, most athletes don't get to decide when their career ends, right? For us, it was like, hey, I'm going to play four or five more years. Like, yeah, it's over now. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like uh, you're released, you're let go, college ends, no additional opportunity. So 
you can play recreationally, but it's not that same kind of at that level, right? So I've got all these skill sets. I've developed all these patterns of learning. I've developed all these boundaries for how I'm going to move into adaptability and rules of engagement and, and these things. And I hear so many athletes be like, oh, well, I don't have any skills to go now into the real world. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, there's all sorts of stuff like this is going to transfer. And, you know, working at that highest level percent of a, a division one program where only a few thousand athletes get to do that. And then in the pro level where it gets really rare, mm-hmm. rare I mean, it's crazy to, to understand the level of some of those skill sets that have to have to be able to compete at those levels. So walk us through some of the learnings you've had and some of the work you're doing in your coaching. Yeah, like you said, I agree. I've watched athletes at all levels, whether it's due to an injury that just so happens to take place or go from the aspect of you thought you were going to be picked up from a team. I've seen some of my guys go team to team and they're like, oh, I got traded or I'm going to be picked up. And then their career ends mid-season because the roster deadline comes in and they were not picked up. I've also seen things where end of the season happens and they go, I'm going to play one more year. And then the team, like you say, goes, no, you're not. Or even in draft, you know, part of what I've done in my career is work with professional athletes. So I've managed them as well. So I've had those conversations. And one thing I always tell my athletes is look, what are you passionate about? Even if it's within sports, when your playing career ends, how can you translate that into other areas of athletics or a business and start being an entrepreneur? Like there are skill sets there. So one thing I always, when I go to school and work with athletes or I have my clients come in and we work one-on-one is think about what you did, right? What is the mindset you went into everyday practice with? What is you know, there's a routine you have there. So on your resume, good time management, right? You had to have your time blocks in play, whether that's on a professional level, a college level, a high school level, so that you did practice, you trained and were able to be focused on that. Did your work that you had to do, whether that's television appearances or your classwork or work, you know, some Even D1 athletes work a job outside of academics and playing a sport. So you really have to have the time and awareness of your body as well. So you're self-conscious of how you interact, how you perform in certain situations. Okay, the next aspect, how are you as a leader? There's many games. No one has a perfect game every day. You can practice as much as you want and you will not know the outcome to every situation right? And athletes know that the best. So how do you you prepare well? Well, how do you prepare? There's that being able to manage projects, because you're walking into a team environment. And you're, how are you accolading with the team? When something doesn't go the way you thought it was going to go? How do you work with the team member? A big thing in business or in any environment is that emotional intelligence, that team aspect, the teamwork, You've spent your life doing, being in that team environment. So how do you handle the high pressure situations? It's probably a lot better than some individuals who've never been in that area. And a third big aspect that I try to remind people is it's all those small, the soft skills. Remember the soft skills that went into every day of your life. 
just because you don't have necessarily a tool in your toolbox of a specific program that a company might be using this or that understand that a lot of people don't leave college with knowing every tool that an industry might need so it isn't necessarily going i have don't have a leg up compared to everyone else. You just have different experiences that will now set you apart to give you a leg up compared to the people that you're seeing next to. Well, I think it's one of the things that people don't consider is that these experiences. And one of the things I think about as my athletic days, I mean, I saw the world on somebody else's dime, right? I mean, I went all over the place, saw cultures, met people, you know, I saw how people lived. I saw the economics. I, you know, changing currencies and, you know, living somewhere in a country that doesn't love our country, right? And like, uh, you know, we love our country. And then we go, oh, yeah, they don't. <laughs> like, so it's like, whoa, like, I'm not a fan favorite over here, right? And so it's a, it's a humbling experience. And I think part of those experiences just play across the board. And, you know, I don't know how many people I meet 20 years old who, you know, they never left a hometown, never been on an airplane, never, you know, and you're like, whoa, hold on. And so, yeah, there's really a lot. I, I, one of the other things I love about sports, that's probably one of my probably most favorite things is the real diversity for a common goal that kind of comes together. A lot of people don't understand, especially for us in professional baseball, that was a real uh, interesting one, because I think when we won the world championship, we had, I think, nine countries represented, you know, you have five, six languages. I mean, like, it's like, and then you think about the economic backgrounds mm -hmm. and all these things. And I think people think, oh, diversity, that's skin color, right? Like, no, there's all sorts of stuff that present your diverse backgrounds from how you were raised. To, did you have both parents available to all these things that are that are living and shaping our experiences? And there's no wrong or right. This is different. But yet all that sets aside and how do we work for a common goal? How do we direct our strengths, our experiences and all move towards this thing together? And it, it's powerful. And it's great that you're not sitting someone who's had the exact same experiences as mm -hmm. you right next to you, because quite frankly, you need this person's experiences along the way. And when you say, oh, Trent, we really need you to do this. Well, I don't have any of those experiences. Oh, well, I guess we lose then because we don't have anyone else who has different experiences than Trent. And this is my danger with leaders hiring everybody that like them, mm -hmm. right? And that's a that's a real concern. How, how much did you see that in your athletic days as you were going through, especially as a manager and how people treat others? That's a huge thing for me as I move through relationships one of the first thing I'm always watching for when I look at young athletes is how do they treat mm -hmm. the wait staff at the restaurant? How do they treat the people at the hotel? All those things are so important. I 100% agree. And I think that you have to, I think character speaks volumes. Um, I say it isn't about how you act when everyone's looking, it's how you act when no one's looking. And I think you never know the person sitting next to you, who they might know, what, how you might cross paths down the road. But as a manager, you see a lot of different background experiences, individuals from all walks of life, and it's being able to connect on different levels. Again, in sports or in any community, 
you thrive off of having different skill sets, having different experiences that you can build to bring to the table and people can talk about and learn off of each other. It's also just as important to create the environment where you can have those difficult decisions, where you have the ability to bring other people, your own experiences, and you feel comfortable enough. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that just uh, is, is such a valuable skill. When you wrote your book about coming into success in the career development, which is primarily utilized in high school and college environments, is it designed for people that are leaving that experience and now going on to the next thing? It's ex- I've really set it up where you can be 10 years into your career or just leaving high school, college and pick it up, pick up a single chapter. You know, there's 14 chapters in the book, but use it for what you need it for. So whether that's the moment in time you need to write your resume and there's resume templates in there, understanding how to write it to okay, you're going into an interview and you want to remember certain things or how should I prepare for it? The reason, and anyone could buy it, not just in colleges and high schools, but I made it in a way that it doesn't matter your background, right? These are all tools we all need throughout our life. So make it accessible because I feel like career development is the thing that whether it's in a high school setting, a college setting, if you weren't able to ever go to a college level or you've been in sport, sometimes we get so focused on something, the conversation never really comes up of, okay, yeah, you have to get that next job, but what should you be doing to get the next job? It isn't just the networking aspect, but you know, it, especially in today's age with technology, a lot of companies use platforms on the back end to weed out resumes that come through. So if your resume is filled of paragraphs, that's not how most systems are set up on the back end. So you're automatically eliminating yourself because you didn't have the tools in front of you to understand how that works. So I really wrote the book for anyone who's in any part of their career to be able to use it as a reference guide. And that's why colleges have really focused in on it because especially in a college environment, we talk about the importance, you know, if you're in management, leading other individuals, how to lead a team, build a healthy work environment, maybe laws if you're taking an HR class. But what gets left behind a lot of the time is, okay, after school, what are the things to get me the job? I've now gotten the tools I need to be successful in a role, but how do I get that job and then continue to grow and be open to opportunities that come? A lot of people, you know, whether you're in sports or you've been working in a role for a really long time, or you just walk out of college, you forget that there's a whole importance on continuous education. Getting a certification can really pivot you to a higher pay grade, pivot you to different aspects, and that never gets talked about. So let's raise the awareness to it. Let's give you the book got written to give you the leg up without knowing you needed the leg up because a lot of people don't discuss that. You know, one of the things that was so important to me that I, I was probably lucky to learn this early. And it was one of the things you just mentioned, which was I'm undersized. So that's not a great thing for an athlete in physical sports, right? If this isn't, especially if it's not individual, 
because an individual can go compete one-on-one. So in tennis, I felt better about that than in team sports because team sports, a bunch of comparison always going on. And so one of the things that was so important as I was going down the recruiting trail was one, I had to impress some coach and that was going to be really critical for me. And I like to tell a lot of kids, hey, you don't need every coach to love you. You need one, (laughs) right? And that can get you onto your college career. But probably is equally as important to me was I was very focused on not doing things that would eliminate me from opportunity. Like I set a lot of boundaries in place where I saw a lot of other kids that would do things. And we just had it happen in a gym I owned in Chicago a few years ago. We had a young athlete, great football player, and had received a Big Ten offer and then made a really couple bad character posts in his social media, got a return call. Hey, we're not looking for an athlete like this at our school. We're rescinding our offer. Like, whoa. And this was, this was the great ass, right? And I was like, wait a minute. Holy cow. That's not good. So you see that it doesn't take much. And it's, it's the same now on my, in, in our teachings and organizations that someone wants to sell their business Well, a buyer is looking at three businesses like yours. Don't eliminate yourself from the competition by having this overt out of bounds issue that is so significant. And then I go, oh, well, that's not that big of a deal. Like uh, two of your people are suing you for harassment or whatever is going on in your company. And they don't want to take on that liability. So it's too much to overcome. It's too big of a hurdle. So they'll say, hey, we're down to two because that's an easy elimination round, right? So speak to that for a minute about what you've seen there. I've seen many, especially in athletic, people take them out themselves out of the race because they didn't take the moment to think about a decision. And you and I have talked about how recently, obviously, Quinnipiac won the national championship. There, Yes, it was such a proud moment being there with the team. And we went and celebrated, obviously, after the team had won. And there was a 21 or 22-year-old player who someone came up to and they had a drink in their hand. And they had someone wanted a picture with the player. And I didn't know the player. We hadn't spoken. I had just turned around at the moment when the picture was about to be taken. And I see beer in multiple people's hands. And I said, give me all the beers. And then people, now it's like late too. So, you know, like, first of all, why are you telling me to give you my beer? Also, like, why does it? And they're like, no, it's fine. It's fine. I'm like, give me the drink. And the even the athlete was looking at me. He's like, I forget if he said 21 or 22. I said, it doesn't matter. You don't want to give anyone any opportunity to count you out of any opportunity just because the way they perceive an image online, the way, you know, something might look. It doesn't matter your age. If it doesn't align with a company either, they're not going to take you. It doesn't matter the situation. And I think a lot of people forget about those moments of, oh, it's really not going to be a big deal. And then it can play out in many different ways. You don't know how it's going to play out. So for me, I always try to tell individuals, you know, different aspects, 
first of all, when it comes to social media, I always look at it as if you wouldn't want your grandmother to see it or someone you're really close to, to be like, that might've been the wrong choice. Why did you do that? Don't post it, right? We all have the power. I used to have discussions with my Giants players. If you don't want, if you're in an environment and you wouldn't want someone else to know about it, get yourself out of the environment. If that's a nightclub that you don't want to be associated with, don't go to that nightclub. If people invite you to the nightclub, politely say, you know what, let's go here or let's go somewhere else. You have complete power over that. I think what a lot of people forget too is they represent themselves and they are their own brand, right? If someone's going to remember you, it's how someone's going to remember you. And it ties back to one of the things I said in the very beginning of it isn't always about what you do when people are looking, but what you do when someone isn't looking. And I think especially in today's society, it's a very much give and take, right? If we're networking, how can I help you? And then you're going to immediately have to repay it. If I do an act of kindness for someone, what am I going to get in return? And I think we really have to shift the mindset of that as well, whether it's a leader in an organization, a leader in a friend group, a leader in sport is look at it as what can I do for someone else that can make them happy that might be unexpected, a good deed that might impact someone in some way without ever thinking that I might get something in return. You know, I've had a discussion recently with someone, I had done a good deed and went out of my way for someone by solving an issue that was occurring to them and getting them a new shirt. And what had happened was I, it was for this adult sports league that I used to run and they play in it now. And we were talking and they're like, oh, I just got the shirt. The captain messed it up. My shirt's two sizes big and they play basketball. And it was making them uncomfortable because as we all know as athletes, when things don't fit properly, you can't always perform to the best of your ability. And I said to him, you know what? I'll start working on it. Being the problem solver I am, I'm like, I know the owners, they're amazing. Let me have some discussions with them. I'll fix the problem. And so I was working on it and then some things transpired and they didn't handle a situation well. And they ended up hurting my feelings and being kind of rude as some other people perceived it. And then I ended up getting the shirt after that situation happened. And I had a decision to make. I had a few decisions. One, do I tell owners I no longer need the shirt because this person was mean to me, so now I'm not going to do anything with it? Do I pick up the shirt and then not tell the person I ever got the shirt? Or do I pick up the shirt, which is 20 minutes in one direction, and the other person's 30 minutes in the other? So go the 20 minutes out of my way, out of my day, go pick up the shirt, then drive from there 50 minutes to the person's house, drop off the shirt, I put it in the mailbox, I didn't say anything, and then drive home 30 minutes and just let them have the shirt without expecting a thank you, without anything. Like, what do I do? And I decided, obviously, on how I told that story to drive and drop off the shirt. And I was telling someone this, and they said to me, do you realize how crazy you sound right now? <laughs> I said, why do I sound crazy? And they said, because why did you go out of your way to do that task for someone who's probably not going to thank you, who's probably not going to talk to you. They handled a situation poorly and now you're like doing something you don't need to do, you're busy. And I said, I remember looking in 
into the camera. We were on a Zoom call and I said, I'd rather be viewed as crazy for doing something that that person would appreciate. Even if then I get nothing in return, just doing an act of kindness for someone rather than not doing anything at all. Because that, that in that moment in time, that only speaks to my character. That doesn't speak to the other person's character. So we have to remember that as leaders as well, is how do we hold ourselves? What are the standards we set for ourselves? And how do we want to handle ourselves in certain situations? Yes, that is awesome. You know, and I think there's no wrong way to do the right, right? And even if for whatever the reason, if others can be appreciated or not, right? And mm -hmm. I think that's a, that's a thing a lot that we could drive in to these kids today and you know and i think for some of the people who've forgotten that right too <laughs> you know we're we're hurt right our feelings are hurt and you know sometimes it's just not personal sometimes we don't know even as you said before with the illness right you know we don't know what's going on with people you know and so i think some forgiveness is really goes a long way but Tell them again real quick, Olivia, where they can find you. You can find me on any social media platform by searching Achieving Success. My podcast, Achieving Success with Olivia Atkin, streams on every platform, including YouTube. You can find my website, achieving-success.com, or email me at olivia.akin at achieving success at achieving-success.com. Nice. Perfect. For everybody else, thank you for joining us on another Winners Find a Way show. We are on every Friday at 12.30 Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Pacific. Like us, share us, tell somebody, tell a friend, and subscribe. We always want to have more listeners and downloads. So for the one percenters out there, thank you so much for everybody joining us. Just another one with Olivia Atkin doing everything. I forgot to mention she's a podcaster all before she's 30. This woman is just a, just a go-getter, and I love it. So for everybody else, We'll see you next time on the Winners Find a Way show. Rebellious Infusions are organic flavored water enhancers. Rebellious provides clean, focused energy in liquid packets. Just tear the corner of the packet and pour 16 ounces of water. Rebellious Infusions have no sugar, no calories, and up to 300 milligrams of antioxidants and loads of L-thionine for brain health. Rethink your drink at drinkrebellious.com. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Do you want to be our next guest? Or do you have inspiring stories to share? Or do you love to inspire, support, and empower thought leaders? Feel free to send Trent a direct message on Instagram or Facebook at Leadershipity.